Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Lab Podcast, Quarantine Broadcast, Episode 7. I'm coming at you out of Palm Springs, where I'm here with my mom, getting ready to, to drive her home in, in a couple weeks back up to Seattle. So that's kind of what, what I'm doing down here, playing some tennis and, and some golf and social distancing as, as much as I can and, and enjoying the extremely hot weather. It's been in the, the 100 plus up here, but uh, that vitamin D is sure is nice. On uh, today's episode, Everett and I talk and, and we really dig into procrastination, some of the, the stories that we tell ourselves, uh, some of the stories that I, I would tell myself and and really how it can affect you from a psychological standpoint and a well-being standpoint. And then, of course, we'll, we'll talk about some tips and tricks and, and, and how to beat the procrastination monkey. So with that, guys, uh, I hope you enjoy. All right. We are live in the Life Lab. Again, live. quarantine broadcast episode seven, I think now. Live from the secret quarantine lab. I'm on the other side of my dining yeah, room table now. Lab. Switch things up. And I am in Palm Springs now. So it's uh, we both have different views. Flex on them, okay. Yeah, it was crazy going through the airport you're not on Snapchat, but I took a bunch of videos on Snapchat and it is probably safer to be in the airport than it is to be at a grocery store. There sure. is nobody. It is crazy. Like the, it was, it was absurd. Like just all you're just so used to it being so packed in an airport and it was just completely empty. And then the plane down from Seattle to Palm Springs was a small, like four seater. So each row only had four seats. They only rode one flight a day and they have all the aisles. All the aisle seats are um, unoccupied to like maximize social distancing as much as they can. And I think like probably 95% of the people on the plane wore a mask, um, including myself, but it was just a crazy experience to see. The airport so empty. It was gnarly. None of the shops were open. It was weird. Was there any like takeout food? I think like Qdoba, McDonald's. I think like, like you can't even get an airport like, beer. It's like the best thing about the airport. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like nothing else open. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. So was your plane full though? Or as full as it could be. It was be. pretty full. Yeah, it was pretty full because I think it's limited to the one flight a day. And I think normally from Seattle on Alaska, there's like six flights a day yeah. or five flights a day. So four or something like that. So they've really reduced that number. So, but yeah. You know, um, so I've well, been thinking really this, is a, this is a sidebar before we get into our first topic, but... We are looking at um, maybe having Phil and Alyssa come meet us at this uh, Mia's friend's house in uh, in Palm Springs. Uh, I think it's Thursday, June 25th. Um, and I'm kind of curious to figure out how close it is to your parents' place. Yeah, you should send me the address when you yeah, can. I mean, the I, easiest I, way to see where my, my parents' place is is go on a map 
and find Highway 74 and like just go up a little bit from Highway 74 and like it's in that general area. Palm Desert. So you like go and like yeah, Palm Desert. There's like Highway 74. It goes straight west basically towards like San Diego kind of and uh, up to like Temecula and they're they're off, they're right off 74 in a community. What's the community called? Deep Canyon Tennis Club. So that's or easy. DCTC as I like to call it. We'll get to our first topic in a second here, but I'm just kind of curious because this will be super easy. Um, holy shit, it's like seven minutes away. Wow, that's awesome. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Sorry. That's not right. I got confused. I was looking into something else earlier. I was looking, I was looking at how Same far it was. From, I was way was, off. Yeah. I was looking at how far it was from this uh, sushi place. This really isn't that important right now, but I'm, I've always thought because we kind of have like, you know, a hookup from one of Mia's friends to stay at this place, like three bedrooms, like huge pool in the backyard and, basically everything your parents place offers. But if we were ever there at the same time, it'd be sweet to, Easy to coordinate. come hang out. Well, I won't we be in, uh, I won't be in uh, Ibiza at that time. So maybe I'll, we'll be free. Were, uh, were the flights down affordable or are they actually kind of expensive Not, since there's only one a day? They were really expensive. We, we booked, with, I booked with miles. So it was only like, 12,000 miles, which is actually pretty cheap. But like there was one flight that was like $700. I was like, what yeah. the hell? And if, if I paid cash, it was like 250 bucks. So 12,000 is cheap. Pretty expensive. That's a good deal. If you've got the miles. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, lucky you, you're, you're um, uh, down there. You're going to get to play a little bit of golf, maybe work out uh, in the sun Maybe play some tennis with mom and hopefully experience some uh, naturally induced flow. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. Um, was um, there anything you wanted to, that you didn't talk about flow re related to from our last podcast? You know, I feel like I often try to play my own like devil's advocate when I'm thinking through. I things or like trying to learn about an idea or I get excited about an idea. Like, is there a way to debunk, you know, my own feeling on something? And, you know, the next chapter in this book was about, you know, it started with, you know, exploring happiness and how happiness happens. What's, what is it the uh, result of and kind of all these perspectives on it. Um, and then exploring consciousness. Um, and, you know, I think this is like a good book and it's interesting and it's got really good perspectives, but like the other part of me is thinking like, like it's not like flow's not that complicated. It's like, I think a lot of people know, I think if we really thought about it, and ironically, like really think about it, but also like try to dumb it down as much as possible. We could all on paper, you know, kind of figure out 
what it takes for us to get into the groove or to get into flow. You know, like we were talking about it and you had like a bunch of good ideas um, and you can naturally think about the last time you just like felt incredible. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you really need to need a book like this to get into the depths of, you know, how the mind actually works and exploring consciousness to really tell you that uh, maybe you, uh, you know, are well rested. Uh, you've been eating well, you've been exercising, maybe you put on some good music, maybe you're in your favorite chair, your favorite setting. Um, and if you're doing something that you want to be doing versus something that you have to be doing, there's a really good chance you're going to like get into a groove or get it, get into like a good, a good state of mind where everything just falls into place. Um, so I'll, I'll see how that kind of logic um, evolves as I get through this book because I feel like it's it's moving slow through the first few chapters. Um, but uh, I don't know. This is kind of a devil's advocate um, antagonist thought that I had as I've been getting into it. I'd say you could say that about a lot of a lot of topics and about a lot of books, especially especially. Like, for instance, The Magic of Thinking Big. Um, I'm just about to finish uh, Dale Carnegie's, like, How to Stop Worrying and Stop Living. Like, you could just read the, the cliff notes and get the understand what the book is. But, and I, we've talked about this before, but I think some of the value is hearing the repeated stories and, like, it just kind of just gets pounded into your head through un- seeing different types of stories and different perspectives that, he like in those those two examples, like they give a lot of different stories of different people in different situations and how they thought big or how they stopped worrying or how they stopped comparing themselves to others, whatever it might be. And I think all of those different perspectives helps you to put your mind and yourself in their shoes and then to be able to apply it into your life. Because I think sometimes when you go to a Harvard business review article and you read the the article you're like oh yeah that sounds good like i can get into flow doing that but like i think that's the value of books is that it is a, a deep dive into those topics and it's not the the cliff note section um but i i would i would agree like you, you don't need a, you don't need books to understand the concepts and to understand like what you understanding what you need to do to get into flow i think it's i think a lot of times the topics are interesting to understand the psychology behind such as like that book and, and kind of why, um, and some of the deeper understandings. So that's. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a, it's a, you know, a, a point of contention around in this book specifically, or maybe the topic of, of flow. I, I I'm thinking, you know, this is like the results of scientists and neurologists and a bunch of people trying to put a bunch of logic behind something that maybe isn't con- concrete or tangible. And like, that's great if you want to deep dive into it. But uh, the um, the other piece uh, <laughs> of it is like, you know, I remember when we first discussed Naval Ravikant's um, 
kind of feeling on books, specifically self-help or improvement books. And do you remember that conversation and his kind of take on, on reading in general? If I remember um, it, it was, if, if you don't find something valuable, like just stop reading, like basically um, yeah. do what you're well, going to get the most ROI on. Yeah. And, and a part of that was him talking about how books are long because they need to be long to justify, you know, a price tag. Yep. Um, and something that almost all self-help authors do is at the end of every chapter, they summarize the chapter. And so he's like, I started going to the end of each chapter and reading like the last two or three pages and seeing if there was some sort of summary. And if there's a summary, I can get through a 400 page book by reading 40 pages, you know, just reading two, three pages at the end of each chapter. And you, you can get, you know, without something as light as just the cliff notes or, you know, the back cover or reviews about the book and something not as deep and time consuming as the entire book, but you get something in the middle, which is uh, a summary of each of the concepts that make up the entire book and just move on through. Um, and, and, and yeah, to, to your point, if you get to a point where it's like, I'm not really loving this, just put the book down and carry on because then you're going to, if you, if you don't do that, you're going to despise the book and despise reading, you know? And so I, I only, I bring this up especially because when I heard that I was reading the magic of thinking big. And I kept thinking in that book about a halfway through, I was like, it's kind of repetitive. It kind of goes on and on. And I started trying it. And that book's chapters are summarized in the last page of each chapter. You can get through that entire book and pretty much get every concept in half an hour. Uh, it's my, uh, uh, how, to start, how to start worrying, how to stop worrying and start living. Same, same exact way. It's summarized at the end of each chapter. Um, yeah. So that's a great hack. I love that. I forgot that to go and read not only the summary, but like maybe like two or three pages before the summary. Uh, I like that idea a lot. Also, I'm going to start doing that. I think um, Have you if I don't heard like of, the content enough. Yeah. I think especially if you don't like it, you know, it's like nothing against books and like reading the entire thing, but it's like sometimes they just become repetitive and maybe you like the concept and you want to finish the book, but it's feeling like, you know, too, uh, you know, time prohibitive. It's a, it's a decent idea. Hey, have you ever heard of um, a service called Blinkist? Yeah, I've actually, uh, I think I got a iTunes gift card that I've has been sitting in my drawer forever that I need to activate for that specific app actually. So mm. I've been wanting to use it and try it out. Yeah. I, I signed up for like their free version a couple of years ago. And, um, just a couple weeks ago, I, I got a notification saying like, we've updated, we've upgraded you to like our premium service for free for like six days. I haven't used it yet, but I think they literally specialize in just summarizing books. I think they only have, looks like they have three. Oh, you're, Let's you read the key lessons from 3,000 plus nonfiction books in 15 minutes or less. Yeah, that's uh, they do that. be interesting to see how much, how, how, if you can really understand and then apply 
those learnings to your everyday life versus reading a full book or doing kind of the Naval hack where you read the summary and then a couple of pages. Um, mm. It'd be interesting to see how how much you need to understand the concept, how much you need to understand the stories around that concept to apply it to your life. Yeah. Because I, I, I read tons of lists. I'm like, hey, you should do this, this, and this, but I don't ever remember them. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's something I've been thinking about uh, because I think, I don't know, I think it's easy to overthink something that maybe you don't understand um, in wanting to jump ahead and getting like really, really deep into it. But sometimes just dumbing it down and and keeping things simple is is the answer. Actually, most of the time, that's that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Was that the kiss? Yeah, kiss kiss methodology. Yeah. So there's a. Go ahead. No, what were you gonna say? I was just going to say there's a, a company that's not called KISS. They just have like a, they're like a normal technology company, but their email is at like KIS metrics or something. I can't remember what it is, but it's something like that. Uh, dot com. Yeah, that so I think every single time you send it. Remember them. Yeah, that's, that's exactly who they are. And it's like, uh, it's like KCTS or something. I can't remember, but it's it's funny because every time I read their, send them an email or when I would read their company name or something like that, I would just like, oh yeah, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Great reminder yeah. on a constant basis. Yeah, that's smart. Whether they did that on purpose or not, I love it. Yeah. So what are you, Anyways. what have you been thinking about in terms of procrastination? So... I'm I'm not I think you might be able to relate to this since we're both usually pretty late to things. Uh <laughs> but interested yeah. interested to know your take just in general. Um I've always been a horrible procrastinator. So in it kind of and I was reading uh Tim Urban's blog, which is a great blog. I've been getting more and more into it. Uh basically thinks about why are things the way that they are. It's called, his blog is called Wait But Why. Um, and he, I was procrastinating about doing something at work, I think. And I started reading this blog post about procrastination. And I was like, I'm reading a blog post about procrastinating so I can't procrastinate. Uh, but it, it made me, he talked about how he, in college, he would, put off writing papers till the last night and then he would put off writing papers until um, midnight uh, and then he would put off writing papers until the morning and I was like holy shit that's exactly what I did all of college and it got it only got worse from freshman year to senior year I would literally start writing a paper when I started in college, like on like, if a paper was due Friday, I start thinking about it on like Wednesday. And then like by sophomore year, I was writing the paper like Friday during the day. 
then like junior it was like or by end of sophomore year i was probably writing it starting it at like 10 p.m that's when i would start writing my paper and then after that it just got worse and then i was just like all right well like i'm just not gonna sleep tonight like i'm only going to write my paper i'm gonna stay up all night and i was like you know what well like you can push this out farther let's just set your alarm for 4 30 a.m wake up and then write your paper and that's what i did and i don't know if, if the results were great but i was able to get through but it definitely was not quality it was wasn't putting my best effort forth and i've actually realized this at work i'll do i'll do this i will put off writing a paper in the exact same way like when i started at amazon i and doc writing is a big thing i would start writing it a couple days before it was due and then I would wait until the night before. And then if a paper was due in the morning, I would literally set my alarm clock for 5 a.m. and write the paper three hours before it was due. And I was like, holy shit, this is like so destructive. Um, because I would always feel guilty, super guilty that I was doing this to myself. And I knew I was doing it to myself. And I hated myself for doing it. And I hate myself when I do it. It's a terrible yeah. feeling. You hate yourself. Uh, and no, seriously, it's like a huge issue. Uh, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Um, and reading his posts, like, holy shit, I do the exact same thing. Like, I literally started like laughing out loud while while I was reading it. Um, and I think it's it's really hard to get and do really quality work if you procrastinate to those those ends, like. I definitely got into a flow going from flow. I definitely got to a flow when I wake up at four thirty or five to write a paper because I don't have any other choice. I have to get into a flow. Otherwise I'm screwed. So, uh, and he had this, the, what, what his blog does really well is he breaks ideas into different verbiage and ways that you can visualize things. So, for the way that he described uh, procrastination is you have like this monkey, the instant gratification monkey is what he likes to call it. And the instant gratification monkey will pull you in all sorts of different directions, whether it's, Hey, like, let's go see, let's go check Google earth. Let's go look at the state of California. Hmm. I wonder how far Palm Springs is from, I'm just giving you shit. Uh, um, or, hey, let's go down the Instagram wormhole or RIP the Vine wormhole, TikTok now, basically. Or, or oh, I wonder who could who could win in a fight between uh, a, a tiger and a, a liger. I don't, I don't know. Like, you, you find the most ridiculous ways to, to distract yourself from doing the, the work at hand, um, which just leads to a vicious cycle of, you're like, nope, I'm just going to keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off because you're doing a very guilty pleasure type of a thing of just distracting yourself um, and how that's very destructive to getting the work done and, and starting. And so he has the self-gratification, instant gratification monkey. Then he described uh, there's the dark playground. There's like, I think it's called the light playground. And then there's the, the dark forest. And so when you're on 
when the the instant gratification monkey has pulled you into the Instagram loop or the YouTube videos or you're cooking, maybe you're like, oh, well, I'll, let me go cook some food before I start writing this or before I start sending these emails. Like it could be any, any we all have our own like vices from a dis- distraction perspective. Uh, and how once you get into the dark playground, because it's it's guilty and it's fun, you enjoy being in it, but you don't really like being in it at the same time. So he calls it the dark playground. And how it's really hard to get into what he calls is the dark forest. Basically, the dark forest and the dark playground both suck, but the dark forest leads you to the light playground because the the light playground is where you feel fulfillment. You are able to do the activities that you really want to do. So for me, that'd be golfing, working out, whatever I'm doing that I really, really, truly enjoy doing versus like being on Instagram or watching pointless YouTube videos or whatever it is. And how one, if you can get into the dark forest and stay in the dark forest, it helps you to, so these are all different visualizations that you can understand where you're at and start to label them. Instead of just saying, I'm distracted. You can say, oh, I'm on the dark playground. When you realize you're on Instagram feed for 20 minutes, you're like, I'm in the dark playground. I should probably get out of the dark playground now. It allows you to like visualize that um, and apply that that verbiage to it. That previous, like, previously might have been an ambiguous kind of area mm. to be in, um, which I think is really helpful, really helpful. And so basically it's then you get into the dark forest, get out of the dark forest, and the forest gets lighter as you get closer to the end of your goal. And flow comes into this because the longer you stay in the dark forest and you don't let the instant gratification monkey pull you into the dark playground, the the more you're going to progress along your path. And for procrastinators like myself, once I get going on a task, it's usually not that scary to actually do the task. Uh, and then I start to feel some accomplishment, but it takes me to getting to like 50% of the way in or at least 25% of the way in to like start to get into that rhythm and flow. And, but only when I'm in that in that deep is when I start to push forward and start to see the end light at the end of the tunnel. And it's, uh, it was just a really interesting way to, to describe all, all of that. Um, uh, and I, and I think it's been useful for me, even just since I read it to just say, Hey, okay, you've been on Instagram for five minutes. You're in the dark playground. Well, let's uh, redirect your attention back to dark forest because you want to get out of the dark forest so that I can go play golf or I can go work out whatever it is I want to do, whatever it is you want to do that, that you really enjoy doing. Uh, do that so you can get get there and you're going to feel that simple sense of accomplishment instead of putting it off to the very end. And this is the one thing that he describes. It's like, so you put off the you put off the task, keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. So instead of doing it at three days before or a week before writing the paper, you basically let your mind go and you push things off until the instant gratification monkey becomes the panic monkey is what he described it as, where the panic monkey basically comes into your brain and he's like, okay, 
you need to get your fucking shit together because you're going to fail. You're going to get fired, whatever it is, if you don't do this. So let's fucking panic and start working on whatever you need to start working on. And only then is when the alarms start ringing is when you will actually start the, the task. And that's what allows you to then put it, put in the work at the very last second. And how, if you can avoid the panic monkey, all things will be much better because no one likes to panic. The panic Anyways, monkey rattled off like 10 minutes of procrastination stuff from Tim Urban. But I, I was super interesting blog post. Um, and I'm a horrible procrastinator. So interesting to know what your take is. Um, have you ever heard of Steven Pressfield? Uh, yeah, I think I have a book by him that's called like Gates of Fire, which I love. It's about the Spartans, but I think he has another book. Yeah, that is his book. I'm looking him up because the concept you were outlining reminded me of his other book, uh, The War of Art. Um, And he has another book called Do the Work. And it's all about breaking, well, The War of Art, kind of the subtitle is breaking through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. And then Do the Work is, um, what's, what's this one? Um, it's all about understanding and overcoming resistance. And so you were talking about, um, when you first started, like the, um, the distractions that you find when you're supposed to be doing something. And he has this concept of using resistance as your compass to, to outline exactly the things you need to be doing. So whenever there's a resistance towards doing something, like it's your your mind and body telling you you absolutely need to be doing this and there's always going to be like some resistance towards towards doing it it's like how often do you think about doing something and you think of either a reason not to do it or some sort of distraction and you buy into that all the time um but yeah his entire his entire uh, concept also, by the way, didn't know this. He also wrote the legend of Bagger Vance. Whoa. Yeah. Classic golf movie. Yeah. This guy's That's kind Will of Smith, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I'm kind of curious. Okay. So he wrote, he wrote the, it was his first book and yeah, it was made into that movie by Robert Redford, Will Smith, Charlize Theron, and Matt Damon, by the way. But, I, should, uh, I should watch that again. Yeah, but a lot of the same same concepts in, in that, um, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like this like productivity devil that's out there that's always providing some resistance. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I've just started reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which I, yeah. is a book I gave to Jenna as part of like our uh, yearly, we're going to, I think, make it bi-yearly now, um, or uh, yeah, uh, book club that Jenna and I do. Basically, she has to read a book after read a book um, that we assign to each other. And she finished the book and I, I, I've always wanted to read it. And he talks about how, so what are the negative emotions that you feel? basically <laughs> but you need to read it first um 
what negative emotions do you feel? And then what are they a call to action for? So if you're feeling negative emotions around doing the work, that's probably a call to action that you should go do the work, right? So very similar concept. Um, I was thinking too, uh, I was like kind of diving into like the, my psychology of like why I put things off and I was, I was pondering it and it was really interesting in that I'd never really dive. I've never really thought why I procrastinate. I just always do it. Like never an understanding of why I know, I know better, but never understood why. Um, and I was thinking it's, it's almost like I'm afraid that I'm going to fail by starting the work by putting in, and it's funny because, so I'm, I, I think it's, I'm afraid to fail and that if I put in the ample amount of time, I, I fail to succeed or fail, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid to put in the amount of time that I would look back on the work and be like, wow, Will, you really put all of your effort into that. I'm proud of that and then fail. Like that's what I think I might've been afraid of all these years. And that's why I put it off because then I had the excuse. I was like, well, I only worked on it for two hours or three hours, you know, like I didn't have a choice. I waited till 4am to start writing the paper. Like, you know, I, I did what I could. It's like, no, well, you didn't do what you could. You were a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and I think that leads to uh, like self self shaming um, at a subconscious level. So I think that's something I'm going to try and be a little bit more aware of. Um, and this is something that's not going to change overnight. It's definitely going to have to be a, a piece by piece. Um, so I'll probably always be a procrastinator, but can I improve my procrastination at a little bit better uh, next year in six months? Can I start to take some steps around not procrastinating quite as much? Um, there's some steps that I, that I wrote down around how to work on not procrastinating as much, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, we'll get into those a little bit. When you were thinking about why you procrastinate or like what's actually happening when you're doing it, did you have any thoughts around tasks that you decide to do on your own? versus tasks that you're sort of assigned to by other people. Because I, I, I know that I think I learned a long time ago, I really, actually, I think here's a, here's a, a, a better way to put it. If I decide to do something, like I'm pretty happy to do it, whether it's hard or it's challenging or I don't know how to do it, or maybe it's, um, intimidating. I'm like pretty enthusiastic about doing something and I'll gladly put an endless amount of effort and time into it. But if somebody else were to ask me to do that same thing or make that an assignment for me, I definitely have resistance towards it. Simple way of putting that is I don't really love being told what to do, but I think, I think, I think there's a difference. I think there's, I guess, another side to that statement. It's not just, I don't really love being told what to do. It's how enthusiastic I am when 
I think of something to go do, or I want to go do it, or I give myself that challenge. Um, did you, did you I, think would, I think, I think I would agree with that. Um, you're making me think even more. It's, and a lot of times it's related. To, I would say I procrastinate and I'll, we'll get into this a little bit. Um, I procrastinate way more at work and I procrastinate way more at school versus personal things. I don't procrastinate nearly as much around personal things, whether it's going to do a, work on uh, something that I, that I want to work on, whether it's golf or basketball or uh, podcast, whatever it is. Like I have a lot, I'm way more motivated to do those things and I don't procrastinate them, but the work, but actual work, I, I procrastinate way more at. And I think it's because even if it's in a role where I'm making my own choices, I, I don't know if it's, I feel like they're deep down behind all of the choices. I still feel like I don't have a choice and that I am in some way being told what to do. Um, uh, yeah, I'll have to think about that a little bit more, but I, I think I would agree with you on that. Um, and it's really weird because, so Jenna, I, I, I wanted to have Jenna on the, on the, on, on for this, but um, maybe we'll do as a follow-up because Jenna is the opposite of me when it comes to procrastination. She does not procrastinate at all at work like at all. She is the one who's writing the paper two weeks in advance. She's submitting it a week in advance. And I'm like, holy shit, like, how do you do that? But she procrastinates way more in her personal life about things. And I'm the complete opposite. And she, I asked her, I was like, like, how do you do that? And she's like, I just hate, I just like to get the weight off my back and feel like I don't have anything to worry about. Um, so I, I don't know, it'd be really interesting to dive into like the psychology that, that she feels and why she does that. And maybe it's a, a, a fearful of not letting other people down because Jenna um, is extremely considerate, almost to a fault of not letting other people down. Like she's so reliable from that perspective. And she takes, I'd say, a lot of pride. But I think uh, that might contribute to why she's so on top of things at work because she feels like other people are relying on her. So... Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there's some research on that, but that was absolutely the first thing I thought of. You know, those, you know, the way we prioritize um, our responsibility to other people versus our responsibility to ourselves. So you could you can see how uh, she might be doing that because not only is are are her sort of responsibilities in her profession to a, a team or like management, there's countless students involved, you know, so I, I could, I could totally understand why she might want to uh, get way ahead of things and just get them done. And it's a bigger weight off of her shoulders versus maybe, you know, name any personal task that, that haunts us all. It's only your, for the most part, it's only yourself uh, that's going to be impacted by, um, you know, letting it dry out versus just getting something done. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Not only is it the, the team at general, but how like for her, it's, she has kids and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, it's interesting. 
Um, is there anything that you procrastinate at, um, or have any, have any story that you procrastinate at? Um, I'm, I'm interested to know how, obviously you, you do better at things that are your own, that your own making the decisions on and you, your own choices, but what's, uh, what's your experience and do you have any things that you use to motivate yourself when you are procrastinating? I actually think generally I'm pretty, I'm pretty good about it because I, I, I put things into the perspective of things just become heavier the longer you let them bloom. You know, in a, in a way there's like a self-preservation piece to it, or it's like, if there's something you absolutely are supposed to be doing, uh, it only gets worse the longer you put it off. You know, in terms of maybe what it takes to actually get the thing done. Um, but on top of that, the kind of mental tax that might come along with um, letting stress build up on something that you need to get done. And so I think for me, it, it I might have a, some sort of way of, of categorizing things as, you know, musts. And if they're musts, like, I, I really don't have much of a resistance to to like getting getting stuff done but i definitely you know if i'm I, you know i've never really liked assignments you know i can i can be super productive and i can get a lot of things done but i don't really want to be i don't really want to be told <laughs> yeah yeah um it's uh I'm sure you've seen the square. It's like a, a four box square. I think it's like Eisenhower, President Eisenhower came up with it. it was like it's like importance and urgency. And like in the upper left hand corner, it's like most important, most urgent. Those are the things you do first. And then as it becomes less important and less urgent, it goes to the right. And then like the bottom right square is least important, least urgent. Uh <laughs> Tim Urban had another blog post about that, like that that square, and it was like the the one that was like normally like least important, least urgent. It was like most. It was like in the in the um, instant gratification monkey. It that box is like most important, most urgent to do. I was like totally relate to that. It yeah, was, it was pretty funny because I was like yeah. flip flip the square, and that's how and that's how the procrastinator thinks. Right. Inverse I square, see, say. I see the uh, the Eisenhower matrix. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Which it, is, if you can apply task to it, it's it works great. But in its simplest form, do first, do later, delegate, and eliminate. Yep. Um, I before we uh, wrap this up, I wanted to talk about some of the things that are, I think, can help with procrastinating. I'd say, for me, first off, it's understanding why I procrastinate. Like, just thinking about why I procrastinated and spending 10 minutes just thinking about why I did, I think that just helps me understand, like, this is why you're doing it and accepting that. And then being able to then address it. And I think also having those labels and kind of those um, visualizations are, have already helped me in understanding where I'm at in the process, where I'm at and 
when I'm distracted and being able to redirect my attention. So I'd say those are helpful, but I'd say most off. And the most important thing is like, don't look at the task. And we talk about this in momentum all the time is just put the first piece in place. Um, so if you're thinking about uh, a house, you're not going to build the whole house at one time. You've got to build brick by brick by brick. So just if it's, if you're, if you're going to send out an email campaign and you're going to need to email a hundred people, just start emailing one person, then start emailing another person, but only focus on the first step that you need to do. Don't focus on the whole task, um, which just leads into momentum. What we've talked about a bunch, but, um, so breaking down those overall goals into very specific things and at very specific times. So instead of, Hey, we'll go send this email campaign out on Friday um, or this week, it'll be send email to et cetera person on Friday, May 8th at starting at 10 AM. And that very specific action will lead to, or plan will lead to you taking action on, on that. Um, I would say also like reminder notes, so like dark playground, uh, deep forest or dark, dark forest. Like they both suck. Which one would you rather be in? Because one's going to get you to where you want to go. And one's not going to, one's just going to take you in an endless feedback loop. Um, um, so those are kind of some of the the tactics that that I saw and just breaking it down to to bricks and bricks and smaller chunks. Yeah, I like that. I think when I when I think about that, the only thing I would like add is is like the thought of um, how I think being overwhelmed can lead to uh, procrastination. It's like there's there's too much. Maybe I'll just go get something to drink, and then you're just like putting everything off. Um, you know, I don't know where I heard this, but it's, it's super helpful to like, you know, every morning or the night before, just write down the three things that you're absolutely going to get done tomorrow or today, you know, and make them three things that are accomplishable. Um, and then you start a little bit of momentum. There's a feedback loop of satisfaction when you're getting things done, no matter how big or small they are. Um, and then that can, I think maybe pump you up to get a lot more done, but yeah, I think they're good concepts. And I like the idea that you mentioned of just thinking about it. Like, well, what did I do? What what did I do when I was procrastinating? You know, like what actually led to that? And maybe it reminds you that most of the stuff you're, you're going to do instead of getting work done is pretty stupid and pointless. <laughs> yeah. the And I would say social media, everyone always it's negatives on their social media, but it's just the endless scrolling of the, of it just allows for you to just go into those holes of, um, negative feedback loops and 30 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, whatever it is, like you're, you haven't accomplished anything, but you've seen a lot of pictures. So, right. Uh, yeah, man. Well, uh, this was good stuff today. Um, let's, uh, Let's, uh, I want to do a Mother's Day, Mother's Day post. So if you can figure that out with your mom, I think that'd be really cool. Um, we could put the two ones together. Um, maybe we could come up with like a, a, a list of questions that we each want to ask our mom. 
Uh, mm. Maybe it's just like 10 questions. And then I think that'd be really cool to see the the insights and see how, not only how our, our moms thought about things, but how they thought about raising kids. Um, and especially because I'd say you and I are a pretty similar, some very similar personality traits. It'd be interesting to see if there were any commonalities that they did that led to like our development. Um, so let's uh, think about that. Um, and if we can do it, it work, it'd be great. If not, it's all good. But uh, anyways, always fun chatting, man. Yeah, for sure. Let's brainstorm some of those questions. Um, that'd be really fun to do. I've got some things to do today. I'm going to get them done and not procrastinate about them. Yep. All right. Have fun in Palm See Springs. Man. Take too. care. Logging off. Life lab. We out. Peace.